Good morning. Man, it doesn't feel like the week after Easter out there, does it? I remember the last time I scraped my windows on the Sunday after Easter, but I'm glad you're here, especially those of you who are visiting us. Um, shout out to you guys from Wheeler. Thanks for being here. I'm really glad to have you today. And um, especially if you, if you brought in today um, any hurt, any pain, um, you have come to the right place. Um, not because there's anything in this building that will help you, but because this is a big group of people who have just come together to say, we know the one who does. Um, and this is a good opportunity for you this morning, no matter what I have to say, um, and no matter what, uh, what anybody else has to say today, for you to get a chance to, uh, to just get a deep breath um, and to get some perspective on God today. So before we get started today, you guys know, anybody who's heard me preach before, you know I don't ever preach a sermon without doing this, um, not just for you, but for me, an opportunity just to stop. Um, if we're not careful, this just becomes one more thing we do during the week. And, um, you know, you go to work, you do the laundry, you do the dishes, some of you. Um, you know, you get the car washed, you go to church, you do the laundry, you do the dishes, you go to church, you do the laundry, you do... And if you're not careful, you just do one more thing. So if you would, take this moment off of your to-do list, would you? And just separate it. God stands outside of time. In fact, I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning. We'll see how it goes. It's a little confusing. But... Um, God stands outside of time, and the picture that we have of God is that he can look down at us somehow. Somehow the beginning of time is right there, and the end of the time is right there, and God can look, and he can see us right now, and he can see you 20 years from now, 10 years from now, 5 years from now. He can see your great-grandchildren, your grandchildren, all at the same time. And we don't understand it, and it's hard for us to see that he stands outside of time, but wouldn't we be idiots? If we didn't come in here with all of our concerns and all of our worries about paying our bills and about what's tomorrow and about our health without addressing the one who can see what it looks like right here, right now. So would you just, with me, just give a moment to say, God, I surrender. All my pain, all my anxiety, all of the feelings that I have that I'm in control and I know what's happening and I know what my future looks like, I just surrender that to the one who really does. And we'll give you a chance to do that this morning. 30 seconds or so, quiet, and then I'll close this in prayer. God, we choose to push the pause button today. You've made it clear that love demands a choice. You gave us a choice, whether we would just go through life pretending that we're in charge and doing our own thing or whether we would choose you. And right here, right now, no matter where we've been this week, no matter what we've done this week, we choose you. Anyone listening to this online or in the room today who is just kicking the tires on you, trying to figure out what's real and what's not, would you give them a deep breath this morning? May you believe in them. 
those of us that have been doing this a long time today, would you do something in us that breaks us? And then would you put us back together the way that points towards what you care about most? And we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. When I was in high school, I had a dream. I had this big dream that I would be a meteorologist. I don't know why that was. I don't know why I wanted to be a meteorologist. Now I look at the weather app and I'm bored immediately. But at that point in high school, I wanted to be a meteorologist. And I had a dream that I would live somewhere way out in the middle of the woods, um, that I would have a nice family. I'd have one boy and one girl. I'd have a beautiful wife. I'd have a dog. I'd have a bunch of land. And I'd live away from everybody. And, and as I got older in my life, so many things changed. And if you're like me, this happened to you too. And your dreams kind of divert. And you think, I mean, I had it figured out. When I was in high school, people would ask me, what do you want to do? And I mean, I was, I was not telling them what I wanted to do. I was telling them who I was going to be, you know? And that's how you get when you're young. You just say, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, if you ask my son right now, he's going to be an NBA or an NFL football player. And well, what, what might be your backup? Why do I need a backup? You know, I'm going to be an NFL football player. I might be 60 pounds dripping wet, but I'm going to play in the NFL. He's got this big dream. Well, it turns out I, I went through all these things in my life. And I've been, I lived in um, Monterey, California for a while, the opposite of in the woods in the middle of nowhere. I worked for the Navy. I've been on aircraft carriers. I've been in observation posts in the middle of nowhere um, that blew up. That's a whole other story. And I survived that. I've been through a divorce. I've been through things that were not part of my dream. In fact, very, very few things that I ever dreamed when I was in high school and, and college came true. But i got to tell you, today I live in a log cabin in the woods that I grew up in. I have the beautiful wife more than I could have ever imagined. I have a boy and a girl and a crazy dog. And it is nothing like I dreamed. And I'm so glad. But you know, God has a dream. Did you know this? That God has a picture of the future. The difference between my picture and God's picture, there's a whole bunch of them, but one of the biggest differences is God's picture is going to happen. God's dream is already in place. It's already happening. My dream is just as hard as I can try, the world changes and things happen. God is in charge and God has a dream. And it is amazing how he's laid it out. And if, if you were here last week for the Passion Week and we went through um, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, which we, we believe after spending some time um, looking at it, that it wasn't just the triumphal entry, it was the hopeful entry. These people yelled, Jesus, save us, save us, save us. And, and they thought they meant save us from the oppression of the Roman government. Jesus said, I'm going to, and it's going to be a better, bigger than you could imagine. And he went into Jerusalem, and he died on the cross, and he looked over at a guy who didn't deserve any forgiveness, and he gave him forgiveness, which gave us all hope that we don't have to do anything, that we don't have to earn anything, that it's already been done, and Jesus earned it. He did it. And then after all of that, if that wasn't enough, he died. All his disciples went away. Everybody thought that was over. He was a really good man who had some really good ideas and when he got good and rank in the grave three days i don't know why god waited three days there's all kinds of historical reasons and whole kinds of things but the truth is i think god wanted you to know that jesus didn't get resuscitated jesus got resurrected because that's the power of god three days he laid in the grave and when he when he rose he gave you hope and me hope for resurrecting our lives for killing old things and bringing up new things in our lives over and over and over. And many of you did that last week. It was this exciting time and this great time. If you're not careful, you just go back to life. You know, we celebrate the resurrection in this incredible time in history and this moment in our lives. And then we just go back to life, right? But at that point in history, after Jesus had risen from the dead, 
This changed everything for the people around him. We think that Jesus was around at least 500 people after he resurrected that saw him before and after his resurrection. So we don't know exactly, but we think somewhere around 500 people that saw Jesus. And the incredible thing about that is that they took that message of Jesus' resurrection and they disseminated it. And five, six, seven hundred, who knows how many exact there were. But those people took the good news of Jesus. And by the way, the good news wasn't, hey, there is a religion that you can be a part of. And if you do the right things, say the right things, and act the right way, you can go to heaven. That was never the good news. The good news was, hey, God is on your side. He sent Jesus, and you have a chance. You have, he is on your side. You have what God is after. And he believes in you. That was the good news. And they took it out and it just exploded. And while it exploded, it, it became this, this historical story that what now, thank goodness, we have in the Bible where we can see that the, the history is moving towards something, that God is doing something and that it is moving. And right here, right now, as we sit here in 2018, we are part of something that God is doing. He didn't just spin the world and then let it go, that there is something specific. In fact, I want to tell you a little bit about God's big dream and about what he um, is planned um, for the coming um, of the world. Life between the trees is this. Genesis chapter um, 2, there is a tree that is really important to God. And maybe you've never thought about this before. This is the kind of thing that um, I never dreamed I would be doing. And now I spend all of my time just diving into this stuff. And I'm, I'm in love with it. And I, I loved having a chance to get up here and kind of tell you what God's laying on my heart. One of the things I'm seeing is that in Genesis chapter 2, you know about the in the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There were, there were these trees that were really important to God sitting in the middle of the garden. And it seems interesting. He says after he drove the man out, he, this is after Adam and Eve sinned, after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So this tree of life becomes this really important beginning of history. And if you see that, now we know that God existed, although we can't get it, our heads around it, that God existed before the beginning, whatever that means. But if you see that tree is sort of the beginning of what we're doing right now, that first tree, check this out. At the end, there is a second tree. In God's big dream, at the end of life here on earth as we know it right now, next slide there. In Revelation chapter 22, you might know Genesis is the beginning and Revelation is the end. Um, Revelation says this, in the middle of the garden, guess what there was? In God's big dream, just like the tree from the beginning, that same tree, that important tree to God, in the middle of the garden were the trees of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. God has this tree at the beginning and a tree at the end. Now, maybe you've never heard this before, and bear with me because I'm about to get into time travel, okay? And that's not my forte. But just if you can picture this for a second. Imagine that this flower over here is the tree of life in Genesis, okay? This is, this is the tree of life that, that when Adam and Eve sinned, God said, no, more of that, and we're going to guard it, and you can't get close to it. And then in God's big dream, at the end of life, this is the, this is the tree, this flower right here. It would be much bigger than this. This tree is the tree in Revelation and God's big dream, what things look like at the very end of time. So you got it with me? So this is the beginning, and this is the end. You and I, we don't know where we are, but we are somewhere living between the trees. This is what I believe God is doing in us right now. 
Now, I know that doesn't sound too profound to you, and maybe it sounds really profound and I lost you for the rest of the sermon. I don't know which. But I can tell you this, that if you're not careful, you begin to forget. You begin to feel like what God did was he started this thing and it got out of control and he just went, well, when this finally gets so bad that I can't take it anymore, I'm going to zap all you guys and it'll be over. That's not the plan. It's not the plan. It never was the plan. And when Christian people post on Facebook and talk about things like this, well, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until God kills us all. They've obviously never heard the story of Noah and the flood and the promise that God would not do what he did then again. That somehow when you as Christian people talk about the fact that everything's out of control, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, nobody knows what's going on. You know what you're saying? You're saying that God doesn't know That God is out of control. That somehow people have, because they've fallen far away from him, that somehow they've taken control and God is out of control. That's what you're saying. Be careful how you talk about the world that God created, the plan that he has, and the life that we have between the trees. He never meant for his followers, for followers of Jesus, to talk about life between the trees as though it was awful. As though the world's going to hell in a handbasket. In fact... The picture that Jesus has, the picture that John has of God's big dream is not somewhere off in a cloud. When I was a kid, there was this picture that sat in my grandmother's house, and it was a picture of a big chasm. Maybe you've seen this picture before. It scared me to death. I have nightmares about this picture. A big chasm that was burning red with coals, and there were people down there, and it was supposed to represent hell. And on one side of the chasm, there were people, and on the other side of the chasm, there was like this big cloud and golden gates, and people were walking across the cross through a chasm, trying not to fall into hell and going into this big thing in the sky. And I understand the the idea there, but that couldn't be any further from God's big dream. The picture of Revelation, the picture of God's big dream for us, doesn't look anything like that. In fact, the picture of God's big dream for us isn't this place in the sky that's floating in the clouds with big golden gates. God's big dream for us is right here. This is why it matters. This is why it matters how we take care of what's here. This is why it matters how we talk about the earth. How we talk about the people of the earth that don't look like us, act like us, talk like us. These are the people that we will spend eternity with in God's big dream. Check this out. John, in Revelation, just in case you've you've never spent time in Revelation or in case you've had this understanding of Revelation that it's scary and it's big and it's hard to understand. The truth is it's scary and it's big and it's hard to understand. (laughs) But the deal with Revelation is if you try to read Revelation, read that piece of Scripture, the way a lot of Christians read the whole Bible, and that is like it fell out of heaven for you in 2018, with no context for who it was written for, how it was written, or who, who was involved in this, you will be really confused about the book of Revelation. But if you stop for a minute and you look at who it was written for, and this man John, this man John who wrote this, um, the Roman government had tried to kill him over and over and over. At one point, they killed him. They thought they killed him because they dropped him in a vat of burning tar. And he lived. <laughs> And he was the last of the disciples to live. And when he wrote this, he was on an island, exiled. They finally just said, we can't kill this guy. We're sending him to an island. They put him on this island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. And when he wrote the book of Revelation, he wrote to a group of people who were saying, God has lost control. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. 
the Roman government is in charge. And they've got bad leaders. And they were whining. And I don't like them because they don't believe what I believe. And I don't like them because they don't talk the way I talk. And I don't like them because their culture is different than mine. And it's scary. And John said, let me paint a picture for you. Let me paint a picture for you of God's big dream. And the book of Revelation is John saying, God has something that you can't quite get your mind around. But I want to give you some human terms to it. He talks about this life between the trees. In fact, when Jesus was here, he talks about it often, over and over and over again. This word, at one point, somebody said, what is this thing that we're doing right now? And Jesus says, God intends for you to have life. That is bios, the word bios, which is where we get our word. Anybody? Biology. Bios is the study of life. It's a Greek word that means this physical, tangible life. There's another word that Jesus used and that the writers use when they talk about life eternal, heaven, life outside of the physical bios. But Jesus said, I came to give you life. That is life abundantly. And he uses the word life two different times. Because the religious people at the time thought that what God wanted for them was to get saved, whatever that meant to them, that they were to be religious, to create a whole bunch of rules that they would follow, and then just to get out of here, just go to heaven. That's my, my biggest goal in life is to go to heaven. This is what drives me nuts. When I read the Bible, I don't think go fly away is good theology. I don't think I'll fly away was ever Jesus' mentality for life between the trees. I don't think God ever intended us for us to say, God, get me out of here. Beam me up, Scotty. That is not a follower of the way. Jesus says life between the trees, bios, physical, tangible, life between the first tree and the last tree is meant to be better. It is meant to give you abundant joy and hope and peace. And by the way, if you're a follower enjoying those things, you have a job. Life between the trees is precious, according to Jesus. Life between the trees is short. Those of you who are a little grayer than me, talk about how short it is. And the older you get, the shorter life seems. That's what I've heard. It's a gift. And the one thing that Jesus is very clear about, and the Bible says over and over and over again, and somehow we have missed in our preaching and our teaching in churches is this, that, that life is also progressive. And I know the word progressive scares some of you. And I don't mean politically progressive. I mean that it is moving towards something. That it, it's not just spinning. It's not just that God spin the world and then one day he'll kill it all. and go, He knows where it's going and he has a dream for it. And Jesus says... That we are best off in our life. We are best off in our life. And my grandma says this too, by the way. Jesus and my grandma are two of the most important people in my life. And they're both really wise. My grandma says one time, you know, I was listening to an atheist. She said, I was listening to an atheist talk and and they were in the table next to me. And she said, I just kept, they're really smart. And they kept saying things. And at the end, I just thought to myself, this is the way I want to live. I want to live the way Jesus told me to live, whether the end is true or not. She said, I believe the end is true completely, but I am so infatuated with living the way Jesus taught. It has made me so happy. It has brought me so much abundant joy that I would choose it even if the end wasn't there. This is the picture that Jesus gave of that kind of life. Ephesians chapter 1, you heard me read this last week in, in the Passion. 
And next slide there. Ephesians chapter one says this. Paul says, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery. See, this is the mystery, the living between the trees, the God standing outside of it, being able to see Adam and Eve and you and me today, somehow all at the same time. He can see all of that at the same time. And he says it's a mystery, but it's this this will that's according to his good pleasure. All of this, the trees, your life, all of this is apparently according to God's pleasure. God takes pleasure and creating a plan that leads to his big dream. You never thought God is a pleasure hunter, did you? He's a pleasure seeker. That's what, Paul says it over and over again. He says, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. You know what Paul doesn't say? When things get so bad that God's finally had it and decides to get rid of everybody. No. There is going to be a time that reaches its fulfillment. God's big dream. Here's what it looks like. The first thing that, that John says about God's big dream is that it will be everyone together. That next slide there. Everyone together. He says after this, he's talking about the, the picture that God gave him just a second of God's big dream. And by the way, I don't believe John understood everything he was writing either. I don't. I think he was writing to a group of people just to get saying, hey, God put this dream in me. This is God's dream, and he gave me a dream of it, and I don't understand it all. He says, I saw and I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. Now, in his language, what that was was like the biggest group of people you've ever seen. I went to an Aerosmith concert once, and it was like just people everywhere and on the road and up. And I mean, it was like the most crazy thing I ever saw. To me, that's the biggest group of people I've ever seen at one time. It was it was astounding. John is basically saying, you guys wouldn't even believe how many people were here. And he says this. He said, um, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people and language standing before the throne in the front of the Lamb. You know what God's dream is? God's dream, and I'm starting to feel this way too. I think I've been reading this too much. This is my dream too. My dream is that someday I can't preach at Northside Christian Church without a translator. I hope somebody, someday somebody has to stand up right here and speak Spanish to a group of people that came to hear the Word of God. I hope somebody has to stand over here and do sign language. I hope somebody has to stand over there and speak Swahili. And somebody else over there in Africa. I, I don't, I, I, the way God pictures this, the dream he has for this, is not a whole bunch of religious people who stand up and say, Boy, I sure wish people would speak English like good Americans. Man, if you go to the ATM machine and it makes you mad that you have to hit English instead of Spanish, your dream is not God's dream. And when heaven comes to earth, the way Jesus pictured it, (laughs) you'll be in the minority if you speak English. You know that? White, English-speaking Americans? They're less than the Jewish culture of all time. We're a young country. We haven't, that many Christians have not come out of America. When we come, when we get to heaven, there, you will be a minority. You better start now appreciating cultures, religions, people who don't look like you, act like you. Jesus says, John says that the picture, he was shocked by this. The picture of heaven doesn't look like what he thought it did. There were people there from all tribes. You know what tribes means? You guys are going to kick me out of here. You know what tribes means? means different religions some of you think you have a corner on god four churches coming up this road right here some of you would say we're the only ones going to heaven man be careful be careful 
John says, all tribes. There were people from everywhere. People that I couldn't count. And by the way, you should stop counting too. It's not your job. And it will wear you out to start talking about who's in and who's out. John said, I was shocked who was there. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. God's big dream is everyone together. If you've got a big family and it's Christmas time, maybe your family's fighting, maybe you've got arguments. And i got a friend who has seven kids. <laughs> seven kids. Yeah, right? He's about 10 years older than me. He's got seven kids. He started a lot earlier than I did. And, you know, I'll talk and say, man, I bet your life is just full at Christmas. And he says, I'll tell you what it is. The first, the, the week or the month before Christmas, my wife and I pray every night that our kids will get along enough to get here at Christmas. What a heartbreak it is for a dad who just wants his kids to come together for them to, well, what are they arguing about? Nah, who's getting the most in the well? Oh, this one said something at Thanksgiving and it really made this one mad. This wife doesn't like that wife. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Why are there four churches on Prowl Road? Because it's time to get together and God's people, God's children, have some stupid argument about something that never mattered. And God's heart breaks, but he has a dream. That one day those four churches that we pass on the way on Prow Road and the other, yes, 94 within 10-mile radius of the center of Bloomington. 94 different church or faith organizations meet on Sunday mornings. God's dream is that they will be together. What would happen if that was your dream? Instead of jokes, instead of finding out ways to make people mad on Facebook and going by and doing what, what I've seen a lot of people do. You go by and you do the, the Christian, basically the, the worst thing you can do as a Christian is drive by one of those parking lots and go, you see their sign of those people, right? God's dream is that everyone is together. God's big dream is this, that every need is met. John paints this picture that every need is met. So does James, and so does Jesus. Everybody that was around Jesus at the time got the impression that history is headed towards something where God is going to meet every single need. You know my favorite piece of scripture, if you've been listening to me preach very long, and that's from James, brother of Jesus, who said, I'm tired of religion. How many people do you know who aren't Christians who say, I love God, but I hate religion? That was James. And he said, I don't like religion. Religion that God wants, the kind of thing that God's looking for is this. Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I think one of the most important things Northside Christian Church does every Sunday is fill those one-gallon plastic bags full of stuff. Stuff that you got laying all over your house, but the world desperately needs. The world right outside this door is in the dream of Jesus. It's in God's dream for the future. He, he dreams that everyone is together. He dreams that every need is met. And this is the last dream of God that I want to talk about today. There's a whole bunch in Revelation, but this one I absolutely love, and you will too. God dreams that there will be no more tears. None. Well, I was writing this yesterday. We have this huge dog 
sometimes seems like, what was I thinking? Huge puppy who acts like a puppy but is about the size of my Volkswagen. And she runs all over our yard, and she tears up everything. And yesterday, Reese, my son, was outside playing with her. This is the NFL football player. And she scraped him just right down his face. And he came in, and he was fighting it because he wants to be a football player. He's fighting the tears, but I could see these big things well up in him. And I was writing this sermon when it happened. I was on this point when it happened. And there is something that happens in me that just breaks, like, just like twists. Jesus called it your splachna. It's this thing, the word in Greek that means stomach. It's something that happens inside your stomach when your kids cry. From the very beginning of time, God has been hearing the cries of his people. You know, in, in uh, the story of the Exodus, when the Israelites were in bondage, you remember how that story starts? The, the, the Israelites were in bondage to Egypt, and God heard their cry. And Moses came in, and you know the rest of the story. He blew up the thing, and it became a superhero story and a, a class action um, story. And then later down the road, another group of people had gotten themselves in a terrible mess, and they were in bondage again. The same, same group of people, just another generation, and they cried out to God, and the Bible says that God heard their cry. And throughout history, throughout the story, over and over and over again, we hear that God heard their cry. And then Jesus is on the cross, and he cries out, Abba, Father, and we hear that God heard his cry. And today, this day, every school shooting, every gang violence, every piece of apartheid around the world, every time someone is a victim of racism, Every time someone is a victim of a terrible accident, God hears their cries. But he has a dream. And he's headed to that dream. That never again where there'll be hunger. Somewhere in the world, guys, I'm not saying this just to tug on your hearts this morning, but somewhere in the world, as we speak, a mother holds a dying baby who needs food. And she cries. God sees all that at once. What if you were God and you could see between the trees? And you could see the mother holding her hungry baby. And you could see the American throwing away green beans because they just don't like them. Both at the same time. God says, no more hunger. Never again will they thirst. Right now in the world, you know the deal with water. Clean water is a scarcity in a lot of countries. I took a 30-minute shower this morning. What if, God, what if I could see both of those things happening at the same time? What if I could see a lack of water and Christian people who love God and who want to feel how God feels using water more than they need? What would I feel if I was God? God's dream is that there will be no more hunger, there will be no more thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. You know what that's a reference to? They won't even be uncomfortable. They won't even have that little sunburn feeling anymore. God's dream is that not even discomfort is in your life. For the lamb at the center of the throne, that is Jesus, will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away. Man, you want something to put on the walls of your home. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the dream of God. 
Jesus says that you have an option. And he told us that as humans living between the trees, we have an option to fight against the dream of God, which a lot of religious people, a lot of church people, a lot of Christians fight against the dream of God all the time. God, God dreams that everyone is together. All they want to do is point out the differences. I believe this, you believe that. I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell. That's not part of God's dream. God dreams that every person, every human being, will have no more tears. And there are people that get to choose which side of the dream they want to be on every single day. Jesus says there is an option. For people who want to be on God's team, moving history towards his dream, the option is this. Next slide. Jesus says, he hears people praying all the time. Maybe, you've, maybe you hear people pray all the time. I hear people pray all the time. In fact, over the last couple of years, I've been, I've, this has become an annoying thing to me, to be honest. I've been reading about prayer. I've been trying to figure out what prayer is um, exactly and how God hears it. I hear people say, claim prayers like um, where two or more are gathered, you're there. But then I read Jesus say that God is always there. So what does that mean that where two or more, he's there? But what does that mean about when there's not two or more? If I'm by myself, does that mean he's not there? And so I, I'm trying to figure all these things out right now. I'm trying to understand all these things. I'm trying to figure out if I should be teaching my kids to say, prayers before we eat that just sound like now I lay me down to sleep because we've said them so many times and thank you Jesus for this food and thank you for blah 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 amen right and then we eat should I be doing that is that good is that what God wants Jesus hears a bunch of these prayers and I, I think he was annoyed he hears people praying for all kinds of things in all different ways usually I think in, in religious ways that were just to make themselves feel better but didn't really have anything to do with God and he says so when you pray this is how you should pray and all his disciples went Okay, <laughs> because I don't really know how to do this thing. I don't really understand how all this stuff works. So he says, when you pray, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Now the word Father is Abba, which in the, in the language you did not call a God of any kind, Abba, Father. This was astounding. Because what, what people would do is they would get up, maybe you've heard people pray like this, they, they use all these flowery words for God. <laughs> And it makes him seem way far away, a long way from where they are. And it almost makes it easier because he's distant. Jesus says, think of him as your dad. Think of him as a father. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You see this? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. That is right here, right now. The word for earth is the word where we get the word for turtles. It's this, this word that is like right down deep into the dirt. Would your will, that thing that you have pictured for the last tree, would that thing, that dream that you have, would it start to, to fill up the dirt where I walk? Would I be a part of making your dream come to reality? What if you live like that this week? Your invitation is not to survive another week. If you're a follower of Jesus, your invitation is not to just make it. Your invitation is not to, I'll fly away someday when all this is over, I'll get out of here and I'll go to a better place. That's not your invitation. Your invitation is to engage in the dream that God has. And let me tell you, if you don't, if you choose to, to follow Jesus, if you choose to come into this church, you choose to kind of put your Jesus fish on the back of your car and you work against the dream of God, you will continually find yourself walking uphill. Because 
all of creation. Remember what I said last week, the passion. Paul says it over and over. Jesus says it over and over. That all things are moving in God towards God's dream. All things. You want to be one of them. When your dream lines up with God, supernatural things happen. When your dream lines up with God, it draws a crowd. You want, you want more people here at Northside? This is a real easy thing to do. It's happened over and over and over again. When you stop saying, hey, God, we have an idea, bless it. Hey, God, when we have an idea. We want to do some things over here. We're going to put this program together. We're going to put this program together. We're going to do a big church service on Sunday mornings. Would you just bless that when you do that? You're kind of out on your own a little bit, and God goes, yeah, there's some things going on there. But when you say, God, where your heart breaks, we want our heart to break. We want our money not to go inside this place and just keep filling our building full of money. We want our money to go out. We want to find more ways of making your dream come to earth. It draws a crowd. Because people are motivated. They're moved when God's dream starts to come to fruition. It also changes the trajectory of your life. Band, you guys can come up. I've gone long enough. Today, I've got some things just from, from God, I believe, just for you. And you can take it or leave it today. If you already tuned me out, that's your prerogative just between you and God. And this one is too. I prayed about these things. And um, if this is where you are right now, this is an opportunity for you to, to say, God, I want to get on the program with your dream. What will you do with your life between the trees? What will you do with the little tiny space that your years occupy in the life between the trees? I don't know how much life you've already had, but you have a choice right now, right here, on what you do with the rest of it. Will you line up with God's dream? Or will you keep pursuing your dream? Will you keep going against God's dream to find your own way? Will you care about the things God cares about? And Jesus would say, would you be honest with God at the very core of who you are to say, God, I want, and you can pray this right now. Jesus says this is the way you should pray. I want what you want. I don't just want what I want, but God, I want your dream, the one that's laid out for, and you already understand it. I want that to come to the dirt that's under my feet right now. How does that affect the way you raise your babies? How does that affect the way you raise your family? The way you work this week? The way you talk to people? The posts you put on Facebook? The things you do? Pray to God right now during this song. God, what can I do to make your will that is in heaven right here on earth? God, we thank you for the way you love us today. Would you make it just clear to me And to every person in this room right now, as we sing this song this morning, would it be clear to us where our dreams conflict with yours? God, if we have attitudes about people or about life that are working against your dream, the way that you have planned for that second tree, God, would you make it known to us in a real tangible way today? God, I'm so thankful. I don't understand it, but I'm thankful that you can stand above time. That you can watch life between the trees. And you want to be a part of our daily 
walk. We invite you that today. Whatever we've done this week, today, right here, right now, would you bring heaven to earth? And would we be a part of it in your son's name? Amen.